Uh, first, some housekeeping. I believe next week is the potluck. As part of that potluck at the end, uh, we'll have a side conversation amongst us, all of us, to talk about some general upkeep on the buildings and some remodeling. Uh, Brenda and Marsha are going to, to head that up. So just wanting to get that started. So uh, keep that in your schedule. Just know that a little bit of time after we sit down and have a meal, we need to reserve just to, to talk through some of that. And if we all come together, if we all help out, um, it could make that process and the task that we have just, you know, to keep things uh, up and running and up to date, um, make it a lot easier. So the housekeeping for t this morning. If you haven't been with us over the last, um, I think this will be the fifth week, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount and working through the Beatitudes. Uh, I believe Nate first introduced this, it would have been like the first of the year, New Year's, is when we first started uh, talking about this. So it is the, the fifth week that we've, we've been in the Beatitudes. Um, if you've been here, this may be a little bit redundant, but just to summarize some of what we talked about, uh, what are the Beatitudes? Well, the Beatitudes are the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, he says, blessed are, blessed are, starts in uh, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's the beginning of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're, we're now in um, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Last week, Nate uh, went over, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And he did a... Uh, a case study of sorts on uh, Moses and Solomon and using them as, as examples of what meek looks like. And he talked about meek is not weak, right? If you were here, you remember that? If not, meek is not weak. And that's not what that means. He talked about uh, the comic milk toast um, and how that related just being a, uh, a passive, weak male. But not so in meek. That's not what it means. Meek means understanding where you stand in the eyes of God. Self-controlled, understanding your own or his iniquities. Not his, like not in God his, but his is in the person his iniquities. Humble, being angry at the right time and silent at the right time. And that is meek. What's interesting, and I'll add to Nate's sermon is, if you skip over to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, 
And something that we can actually look at throughout all of the Beatitudes and help define the Beatitudes. So Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Pay attention here. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Humble, right? That's, some of your translations may also say humble. Lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What he's saying there is, I am meek. I am gentle and humble. And we can look at all the Beatitudes and see Jesus in each one of them as an example. He was all of those. He's telling us what the attributes of Christ followers should be. That's what he's saying. Blessed, blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed if you're this, you're this. As a Christ follower, this is an attribute of yours, or should be an attribute of yours. But ultimately, Christ is each one of the attitudes all on his own. And we can see that as we dig in. So let's jump in. Let's go back to uh, chapter 5, verse 6. This is the fourth beatitude. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's interesting to me. I never would have thought that that small of a, a phrase or a passage could take up a full sermon. It just doesn't seem like enough content, but when you really start to study it, it's plenty. Um, we plan to get all the way through the Sermon on, on the Mount, and I've got to tell you, hold tight, there's a lot of information here. We're probably going to be going through this for several months, but it's rich. It's so good. Bless are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be fulfilled. Again, to go back, what does blessed mean? What does it mean to be blessed? To receive a blessing? To be blessed by the Lord? It's one of the, it's, it's a word, blessing, or, or blessed is something, it's a word that we use as Christians a lot, right? Have a blessed day. We ask for a blessing on the food before we eat. What do we say when someone sneezes? Bless you. So we use it regularly, but what does it mean? What does blessed mean? Well, in this case, blessed in the Greek, the nearest English translation that we have is happy. But if I'm honest, I don't think happy is a deep enough word for blessing. Right? So if you're blessed, you're you're happy. You're happy. Really, I think. And even looking through the, the Strong's Concordance, that fortunate, well-off, joyful would be a better definition of blessed. And when I say, joy, when I say fortunate and well-off, I don't mean in the sense of um, material things. I don't, I don't mean that, but instead, fortunate. We're, we're fortunate to have received Christ's grace. We're fortunate. We're well off, right? Our trajectory 
was a whole lot different before Christ than it is now. We're very well off. So it just needs to go a little bit further than just happy. Happy is a good word too. But ultimately, joyful. And the type of joyfulness, the type of happiness that is tested, and your joy will be tested, right? The type of of joy that is tested is unwavering joy in Christ. That is what it means to be blessed. Unwavering joy in Christ. Nothing can happen that will get in the way of that. Nothing can happen that will disturb your joy, that will change your happiness. That's Romans 4, 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawlessness deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Then moving a little bit further into the passage, once we get through blessed, and that works, blessed works for each one of those beatitudes, right? But as we get a little bit further, We go to, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So just to dissect and break apart this this passage, hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's really interesting that Jesus uses hunger and thirst because he uses it a lot. He continues using it. And he uses it a lot in his his different, and what he's saying as an analogy. How many people here have fasted? That's a good deal of people that have fasted. How long? How, what's the length of time? Three days? Five days? This isn't a competition. That's not why I'm doing it. How many days? Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> so I, I fasted. I was younger. Um, fasting, by the way, is very much biblical. We're actually going to cover that later um, in the Sermon on the Mount, prayer and fasting. They're very much biblical. Fasting is a form of worship. It's a form of denying thyself. And when you're asking or praying for something, you're denying the simple things, right? As a form of worship. And so I've, I've fasted. I was young. I haven't fasted for a long time. I, I fasted because my cousin was fasting. Um, so I did it too. And I think I maybe made it a little over a day. But I've got to tell you, I've never been so hungrier in my life. And I'm sure many of you that have fasted can attest to this, that that's all you can think about is food. At least for me, I I could only think about food. It was in my mind all the time. I'm hungry. (laughs) Maybe I was just a young man and needed to eat more. How many, how many of you have um, fasted completely, food and water, no water? I have been thirsty, really thirsty. That's one thing I can talk to you about, desperately thirsty. And I think that Jesus used these two things because it really defines what he's talking about as blessed are, the attribute, those who seek righteousness. 
It really defines that, and I think we need to understand it. So my story about being thirsty, as you all know, I spent a lot of time outside. Um, one hunting season, I decided that I was going to climb from the bottom of a mountain all the way to the top. In order to get to the top, there was a bunch of public on top. I thought maybe there would be some big mule deer up there. It was uh, surrounded by private. The only way in was through a very tricky, steep, thick route to get in there. You had to kind of navigate and move around through the public to get to public that was surrounded by private. And I had it mapped out that I would, I would go up and park about midday, work my way up to a, a bench, and then the next day, go up to the next bench where there would be water. I knew there was a pond there. I could see it on Google Earth. So I had planned, when I backpack, I'm a little bit of a, a minimalist. I'm weight conscious. So you already got too much already. So I've got to cut the, cut the ounces. And I will. I'll cut ounces out of the water that I take with me. Because water is the single heaviest thing that you'll carry in your backpack, if you're backpacking, water is number one. So I'll cut the water out. And I took just a Nalgene up with me to take thinking that all I had to do was make it to the first bench, and by the second day, I could find water, and I'd be fine, and then that would carry me from that bench on up to the top, and I could spend the rest of my week up there where there was ponds and that type of thing. So I was a little low on water to begin with. It was unseasonably hot, and I started climbing. I got there a little bit late, as usual. That's kind of how I usually work. Can't get off of work, can't get away. I'm always running behind. So I got there late. I'm screaming up the mountain as hard as I can. Sweat's just dripping off of me. I've got like the, the sweat that comes down through the chest. You know, sweat here, sweat down my back. It's dripping off my nose going through some water. It's hot. So I get to the first bench. It's dark by this time. And I'm thinking there might be a seep or a spring that I saw on Google Earth. So I searched around in the dark for a while. Nothing. I had burned all of my water at the first bench. Burned every bit of it. I didn't have a drop to drink. I was a little bit concerned, but yeah, we'll work through it. I've been there before. I've ran out of water and it's been okay. I'll just push on to the next one tomorrow. And I'll be fine. So I spent the night there. I didn't eat dinner because I didn't have water to make dinner. I didn't make any coffee the next morning. I didn't make breakfast the next morning. And oftentimes what we'll do when we don't have water, we'll take the coffee grounds that we would have put in our coffee, and I'll just put them in my lip, kind of like chewing tobacco, and just suck on those grounds. And it's a lot better than having a caffeine headache. So next morning, wake up bright and early. Still unseasonably hot and dry, start trekking for the next bench. I've never been up there. Took a lot longer. Was a heck of a lot harder. I actually didn't realize that I had to go and then skirt across the cliff band and then go up. A lot harder than I thought it would be. By this time, I'm like parched. I am out of water, and I am thirsty. It's, my mouth was dry, starting to get a headache. Your vision starts to blur a little bit when you get dehydrated. You can like feel the pain in the back of your eyeballs. I pull up to the pond that I was going to get water from, 
and the cows had been in it. Like beef cow had been in it. There was cow poop all around the outside of it, cow tracks going in, mud from the cows getting out, and it smelled like urine. It smelled like cow urine. I'm not joking. This is bad. <laughs> this isn't good. This is, my, this is my water source. This is what I came to this spot for and the, really the hinge point for me. So I got out my, my little pump that I've had now for 15 years and I went to pump the water and I pumped it into my Nalgene bottle and the green yellowish color that it was in the pond is the green yellowish color that it came out. I've never had it, that little pump not purify the water. It didn't. It still smelt terrible. Worse yet, it had like this white froth because it went through the filter and came out, so I had like a froth. So now my, my Nalgene bottle's contaminated with this urine. And it was urine. So I tried to take a drink. <laughs> I, gave him, I gave it a good shot. I opened it up, and I put it to my lips, and I couldn't I can, I can do it. I gagged a bit. And I sat there and pondered, and I thought, well, maybe I'll make coffee out of it. Maybe I can take it, one, boil it, so I know it's, it's sterile. Two, cover it up with coffee so that it gets rid of the taste. And I did. I put the coffee grounds in it. I boiled it. You know how when you um, boil noodles, like right before it boils over, it gets like this, raw, this frothy kind of thing as it's boiling and simmering. It did that. The only problem was the froth was like froth, and it left a crust around my container, my, my pot that I was boiling. It left like a greenish-yellow crust around that. Ruined the coffee grounds, tried to drink it. It went into my mouth. It came out of my mouth, and I was done. I couldn't, I could not get myself to do it. So now it's, do I keep going? Do I push on? Because if I get to the top of this thing, I am going to be in big trouble if, there's, if I run into the same situation. If I get to the top and the ponds that I see on Google Earth on top are in the same condition that the pond is down here, oh man, I'd, I'd, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> But I wouldn't be good. It would be a really hard, long way out. And it probably wouldn't end it up well. So I start climbing up. And I get halfway up. And I just, this is stupid. It, it is stupid. This is a dumb idea. I'm going to hurt myself. So I turn around and I die. So all of that way that I went up, I had to come back through. It's piping hot. Sun's out. No clouds. I'm dripping sweat. I'm dehydrated as all get out. All I want is water. The only water I have is absolutely disgusting. I come all the way back out. I didn't stay the night. I just bombed off the mountain, came all the way out. And there was a creek in the bottom where I had started. There was a creek down there. So I'm like, yeah, I can drink some water. I can get some water. Problem is, everything I had was contaminated. Everything smelt like cow urine. My pump would not pump clean anymore. My pot was completely um, completely contaminated. 
It smelled like the urine. It had crusties from the foam on it. There was, it was nasty. And I just couldn't get myself to do that. And I thought, well, then I'll just drink it. I'm thirsty. I'll just drink it. But I've had Giardia. That's not a pleasant experience. I've gone through that. It's painful. It hurts. It's not fun. It's a really, really bad flu. I don't want to do that again. So I left that water and started down off the mountain. I was so thirsty coming down off that mountain. I don't know how fast I drove, but I know it wasn't the speed limit. And it would have got me in a lot of trouble. But I flew down that mountain, got back into town, went to that little gas station there in Orchard Mesa off the highway, go to the back. I grabbed a bottle of water. I wanted to be kind, nice. wasn't trying to make a scene. There was two people in front of me. And I just remember being like, get out of the way so I can pay for this water and drink it. Like, get done. Buy your stuff. Pay for your gas. Like, move over. I ran out of patience. Cracked the water. I drank it right there in line. Went up front. Paid for my drink, and as I was, as I was leaving, walking through the door, I could feel my blood getting thinner. I've had that happen twice, where I've been so dehydrated that I, I felt my blood getting thinner. It's a weird feeling, but it's true. It's like your blood pressure drops, you like feel this warmth throughout you, and I could feel like the water just in my stomach, and it felt so good. That's the thirst that I think Christ is talking about here. Where you can't go any further. That's a part of you. Your soul is going to wither up and die. That's what he's talking about when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Just can't live without just can't go on without God's righteousness. I think that's why he chose that. I would imagine people at that time could very much understand what he was saying. So what is righteousness? What is the godly righteousness that Christ is talking about? That's the, the next part of this verse is righteousness. So what are we thirsting so much for? What do we got to have or else we'll die? What is it? A lot of you have probably heard me or Nate say or talk about sin, right? And sin is an archery term, which means if you're shooting at a target, missing the mark, missing the center. Imperfect, inadequate. The center's perfect. That's a 10. Anything other than that is not a 10. And that's what that means. That's what sin means. And when I think about righteousness, I think about if you are righteous, or if you look at God's righteousness, that's the 10. That's the center of the mark. That's Important to note here, I'm not talking about self-righteousness. Please hear me say God's righteousness. Self-righteousness is not righteous at all. It's the opposite. 
So let's go to 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 5.21. We read here, For the sake He made Him to be sin, who knew, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God took the one who was blameless, who was sinless and he gave him so that we could become the righteousness of God. So let's go back to that picture of the target and missing the mark. If the center's here, we're here. Again, on this target, there is nothing but the center. There's nothing but 10. If you're outside of 10, you're just not a 10. It doesn't go 9, 8, 7, 6. Ten or nothing. Christ came so that He could be the righteousness of God covering our sins. When we are in Christ, we are now hitting the mark. With Christ covering us, we are now in the tenderness. Without Him, we are off the target. Another analogy that I like to think of when we talk about righteousness and God's righteousness is riding a ship. Not riding as in like riding with a pen, but riding a ship is in navigation. So riding a ship means to turn it towards its destination. In the 18th century, Sailors didn't have, obviously, common navigation equipment that we have today. They didn't have GPS, sonar, all of those things. They could set waypoints and stay on course. But instead, they used the sun, the moon, and the stars. They had a device called a sextant. And this was an, a, a tool that they would use at night to look at the stars. They knew what stars were which and where they were in relation. They could look at, through this sextant. And it had a, a few dials and different things they could change, and it would give them their location. You do this two, three, four times, now you have a path. And then what they would do is they would take those points as they moved along, one, two, three, four, okay, here's my line in the direction I'm going, but I want to be over here. As you can imagine, in the great blue sea where there's no landmark, there's nothing to tell where you're at, you know, there's nothing to base that off of, they would use that sextant to find their location, find their, their general direction, um, look at that and, and how it corresponded with where they wanted to be, and then they would write the ship to then sail towards their location. And they would do that over and over and over again, going back and forth, moving to and fro until they finally got to their destination. In a lot of ways, that's how I look at God's Righteousness. I'll explain a little bit more. Go to Romans chapter 3. So we're looking at verse 21.
It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The course that we were on, we have all we have, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then if we go a little bit further, so that's that point that we're on, right? We're taking this point of where we're on and we're going in the wrong direction. If you go a little bit further, let me find my place. So we left off justified by his grace as a grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as I can't get that word, sorry. Somebody tell me what that is. Thank you. Up by his blood to be received by faith. It was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. We'll talk about that a little bit more of the one who has faith in Jesus. Through Christ, God shows His righteousness by changing our course. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our self-righteousness could never get us there. The, the, the line that we were taking, the path that we were taking, the, the heading that we had was in the wrong direction. But God's righteousness, the grace that we find through Christ that covers us, realigned our heading, realigned our direction back towards God. And that's, that's another example of how I see righteousness, godly righteousness. Um, it's also interesting, we look at the just and the justifier, where God is both the just, he is both just and the justifier. Um, what would you say if someone committed offense against you? Broke the law? We could think of any number of different examples of what that might be. Maybe they, uh, uh, it's, use an extreme one. They killed your brother. And they went to court. But the judge forgave them because it's who he is. There was no, he wasn't reprimanded for the crime that was committed, right? Nothing was done, but he just forgave them. Is he a, a good judge or a corrupt judge? Not a trick question. I'm not going to, he's corrupt. He's a corrupt judge. Someone needed to be punished for the crime that was committed. And that's the same that we see in our salvation with Christ. Someone needed to be punished. 
But in order for God to be both just and the justifier, he sent his son to be that punishment for our sins. Because he's a just God. That's just a little tidbit. So moving on into the passage, let's go back to to, uh, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Isn't this the best part? They will be filled. Those people that that hunger and thirst for this, that can't go any longer, that need this, that need God, that need His righteousness, they need to be covered with Christ, they will be filled. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity on man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Eternity is on our hearts that we cannot fathom. We can't even begin to fathom what he's done. Furthermore, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who is asking you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would given you he would given you living water. So this is the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. She says, "Sir," the woman replied, "You have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where then will you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did?" his sons, and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a fount of water springing up to eternal life. It's not haphazard that Jesus uses hunger and thirst throughout throughout all of his different points. When we thirst and want and desire Christ's righteousness, his God-given righteousness as an atonement for our sins, as the one that rights the ship, doesn't deny us. The one that comes to me, the one that drinks my water, he said, will have eternal life. Will never thirst again. Attributes of Christ's followers. That's how we could define these Beatitudes. Attributes of Christ followers. Recently, probably the, the most recent example that I have, there's probably many out there, but the recent example that I have of where I firsthand witnessed the pining, the thirst. Um, and then as a side note as well, if you want to get more on that on the thirst and understanding what, what it's meant by that, you can, you can read almost any of the Psalms. Psalm 63, David's writings are, are littered with 
pining and wanting righteousness and just to be closer to God, just to be close to Him. You just get a better understanding. It's all, there's a lot of that in there. But the most recent example that I can think of where I just, I could see it in the person. I could just see it. They didn't have to say a word. It was actually during Leanne's baptism. When I watched her, when, when Nate asked for her testimony, if, if Christ was her Lord and Savior, and before she went underneath that water, I saw the tears. When she answered him, you could see the tears roll out of her eyes. That's that thirst. Something that we cannot, we cannot provide for ourselves. That realization that what he's about to give us, we did not earn. That thirst for righteousness and, and the recognition of what that righteousness means. I watched her weep. That's the thirst that I see here. And then as she went underneath that water and she rose, a different woman, a blessed woman. Her body language changed almost instantly. And I didn't think about it until I read this, but I could see it in my mind. Her body language changed because she was new. She was blessed. She was fortunate. She was happy. She was joyful. Joyful in Christ. An unwavering joy that can never be changed. She was filled. I'll tell you, there's some really good stuff in here. And it's, hang with us. It's going to be long. This is going to be a long study. It's going to take a while. But there is some good information in here that may just change your whole life, your trajectory get you closer to God. Amen? Who has a communion?